On a bitterly cold St. Bridget's night this year, the Church of Our Lady of Lourdes, Sean McDermott Street, filled up with mothers, fathers and relations of young people who are drug addicts or who have died of drug addiction. The service, organised by the Family Support Network, is one of commemoration and hope. It has become an annual event and is attended by dignitaries of church and state. But it is the ordinary people who have had the devastating experience of losing a child to heroin who take centre stage. The Family Support Network, with Citywide Drugs Crisis Campaign, provide a forum for communities to support each other and share experiences. They provide help and counselling to many who would otherwise be facing a crisis alone. Martin Hunt of the Father's Support Group in Ballyfermot explains. Support groups that are here tonight are mainly set up from family which um, their children are addicted to heroin or whatever. And uh, they have a network of people who come together and organise this service. And uh, we also tonight, um, we're happy to have actually two men's groups here tonight, two fathers' groups. Sadie Grace is a founder of the Family Support Group and is one of the best-known activists against drugs in the inner city. Moved by her own experience and those of her neighbours, she set out to set up a helpline and ended up with a network. Um, it was around 99, and um, a lot of areas would have small services and commemorating their young people who had died from their particular area. And in 99, um, we just found that kids were dying and nobody seemed to care. And we were saying that if you had a big service for the whole of the city, that it, it might make people, might wake people up, you know, if, if we could show how many children had died. Um, so we start, We got together in 99, um, and we started planning uh, a service for the millennium, and that was to highlight the amount of deaths um, drug-related deaths for the whole of the city. We found it very difficult to find um, numbers because drug, drug-related deaths weren't recorded. And that was very worrying for us. We estimated at the time that there was 800 deaths, but I mean, that was only mm. the tip of the iceberg. I mean, it has to be at least three times. We, we had said that time, at least three times that amount. But... Um, it was very, very hard to, to get numbers because they just aren't recorded. One of the difficulties faced by groups such as Citywide is estimating the size of the problem. Phil Keegan, another prime mover in the Family Support Network, says that their experience is that the statistics tend to greatly underestimate the problem. The latest research, I think, was the Comsky Report, and I'm sure that was released in 1999, which said there was 13,400 heroin users in Dublin. Our experience is that when services are introduced to any area where the estimates may be that, yeah, we have 20, 30, 40 heroin addicts in this area, when services are introduced, you find there's an immediate pickup of the services and a waiting list develops. So you may have your 20, 30, 40 people on a treatment program, but you also have a waiting list. And as people are taken off that waiting list, people add to the waiting list that it's almost impossible to, to 
come up with that figure now. I know, I, as far as I know, Komuski is actually carrying out more research, more up-to-date research. But I think you, you could nearly double that. Ebrin and Dr. Neil O'Cleary, a Gartlar Yishgart na Cahrach, agus fekin se go lehul, an skris eyan an drogani er hauli, agus er gach dinne at a gölte don anjulach. O kinte ta, ta se fekin an jah elor na Cahrach a fena blinte, stoche hasse se harters na hochtodi, agus o shine le gach kuidse no shach de blinte tagen dramelle na bede glunelle poesti. In her book Fighting Back, Dr. Joe Murphy Lawless provides a valuable study of the impact of drug abuse in the north inner city on families and on women in particular. It's overwhelming. It's, some, it's something that unless you've been there, you actually don't know the full impact of it. Women spoke to me, women whose children were um, drug users, spoke to me about how it had invaded and taken over the whole of their family life, how how it eclipsed every other aspect of family life, how they couldn't even begin to give um, the attention that other children needed, how everything was focused on the one who was involved in heroin or the two who were involved in heroin and trying to help and support them out of heroin. They spoke to me about how few services there were, how few supports there were for heroin users, let alone for them as mothers, as families trying to cope with the havoc that heroin wreaks upon them. Until you hear it being explained to you, until you hear it being explained to you what it is like, for example, that you are never free of that worry and that burden, that you have adult children at home who are heroin users, who are trying to cope with very limited treatment facilities, who are likely to overdose at any time, who are brought to your front door in a taxi having been overdosed, taking them to hospital, not sure whether they're going to come out of the coma, not sure whether they're ever going to recover, not sure where your child is, whether she's sleeping rough on the streets, whether she's in prison, um, indeed, and then those who have suffered death as well, the, the, the deaths of their children through heroin overdose and misuse. Mary, a young mother from the South City, started on the road to addiction very young. The descent into utter degradation, she found, does not take that long. Yeah, when I was 16, when I first started smoking heroin, and uh, I did live in Crumlin, but I came back down here to the flats and I started hanging around the wrong people and I was taking a few lines and getting out of it, and then I started to get more lines and more lines. The more lines I was taking, they weren't doing me, so I kept going and going. And then at about the age of 17, I started going on the needle, because I wasn't getting out now smoking anymore. And then uh, I had a fella that was supporting me having it. I never had to grow and the street or the game or great robin or anything like that. I was lucky enough to have a fella to go out robin and come back and feed me, have it for me. And uh, it just got worse from there. Then two of us started using them together. He got locked up. I started selling it for it to feed me own habit and his habit. And I was asked to start getting off it back on it again, off it, back on it again. Had so many chances with my family and all that. And uh, my mum was 40 when she found out she was pregnant again. She only had me, I was her only child. And she found out she was pregnant. She went down to six stone when she was pregnant. I nearly, I nearly buried her. I didn't become ill, but I came to the stage that I stopped washing myself. I was walking around the same clothes on every day. 
I was filthy. My neck, my body, my hair was walking. I just hit rock bottom. Mary is now recovering, but it is a day-to-day struggle and temptation is never far away. For Laura, another young mother who fell victim to heroin, recovery came too late to stop her getting what they familiarly call the virus. I found out, then when I found out I had the HIV, I found that I was pregnant as well, like, you know. So my head was really, you know, all over the place and I... I, I talked of any more kids and I like that. But a bit, look, it did happen. And he hasn't got it. He got checked out and all. But kids are there today, you know what I mean? We look at them. I mean, I've seen young kids smoking heroin. Like, and I was saying, like, that's what we're off one child over fighting my two on the stairs. And they're smoking hash and drinking and you know like that, but uh, it's not worth it. Like with kids and like, they should like stay well away from drugs. Tony McCarthy runs a community drugs team in Rialto. Gatla, Bulanche, Le Hirsmi, the Hill, at Tafaka in a Jia, Ig Five Nanarogani. Five Nanarogani is five. Then the ener is five. Then clown agus is is five e. Then fable comma is five structure e. Agus she on I'm at all going now. Fragra uh, sort of uh, frag taxusle fragra. Erno three ramesian. Agus tamid teresh a chlorica. Agus a lagentamach con sir kauru lesson than the ener. Three Korlu, three treatment of Hordov, Takiak the Hordov, uh, Remsha Lahand, uh, Terbi Alternacha, Groupi, Brody, Con, sort of Kaura Hordundine, and Fibna Drugi is five sort of Ankhaste E. I guess the Federling Taxusle Fragra Anshimpli Maris. Is 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 kest an haste eggs, Davrishan, Kahamid, Taxus, Agsvenon, Kaurahurt, er sort of level difficult with them dinner. Agasinato, Midigirigayen. Kathy, a young mother from Ballyfermot who now helps other parents to deal with addiction in the home, describes the agony and frustration of seeing a normal life disintegrate. I grew up in Ballyfermot and I married and have five children, and my eldest son. Um, became addicted to drugs at the age of 17. He had been drinking alcohol before that and then he went on hard drugs. So um, we didn't know what to do. We went to our local GP and um, he sent us to Trinity Court and my son had a detox in Trinity Court in the year 1990. Mm. And we thought... Everything would be fine after that. And uh, when he got the detox, then I said, that's it now. You're clean of drugs. No going back to that life anymore. And I remember him saying to me, you don't understand, Ma. It's addiction. And I didn't understand anything about addiction at the time. To me, addiction was someone who was an alcoholic and that was it. Or maybe I had heard of people being addicted to gambling. But drugs, no. Um... 
I mean, myself, my husband, we were devastated. But his younger brothers, I mean, they were going to school and they were carrying a sense of shame with them. They had gave them a bit of a chip on their shoulder. They were embarrassed and they kept on to us, why don't you just put him out and put him out? Mm. And, you know, I mean, there was a lot of heartbreak there and um, devastation. I mean, he got start getting into trouble with the guards and, of course, myself and my husband, we went to the courts with him and um, when he was taken into custody, we were bailed him out. Then it's, as his habit got heavier, he was actually dealing to feed his habit. Yeah. And that's when my younger children were most affected mm-hmm. because he was dealing in the local area and they could see what he was doing. And that's what caused the biggest sense of shame. I recall one day my one of my younger sons coming home from school for his lunch and he came into the house and there was tears running out of his eyes. And I asked him what had happened. I thought perhaps he'd been maybe in a scrap or whatever. And he told me that he'd seen his older brother in the laneway and he had vomited. And he was actually kneeling over the vomit. He was after swallowing some naps and he was looking for them in the vomit. And he said, Ma, all my friends were looking at, were watching him. Hmm. So he, he was... He was devastated. He was so full of shame. And that that went on for a number of years. As I said, he got... His, the more he took, the more tolerance he had for them and the more he needed. So came to the stage then where he was practically walking around like a skeleton. He got so thin, pale-looking and deteriorating in front of my eyes all the time. And then in 1996, he was in prison for nine months. And he came out of prison and he looked a bit, a bit better-looking. Mm. Because I suppose I, while I realise one can get drugs in prison, he wouldn't have been getting them on as big a scale. So uh, it was like as if he had a rest. But he was using still in drugs and um, in prison and, of course, all the dangers that are attached to that, shared needles and what have you, you know, unfortunately. Well, it had got to the stage I had put up with a lot of his behaviours and I... It was at a stage where it was peace at any price. I was trying to keep peace in the home. And then he was, you know, we might be sitting down to a meal and we'd hear him going up to the bathroom and he would be injecting himself in the bathroom. So the meal would go in the dustbin because we couldn't eat it, we'd be choked. So it got to the point where he was 20 at this time and we told him he'd have to leave the, the home. Cathy's son eventually made what looked like a full recovery, got a job and normality seemed to be returning But then he slipped. Well, unfortunately then, you see, he didn't keep up his supports. He didn't keep going to his meetings. And I suppose with addiction, you need the supports because as our own doctor told us, it's too powerful for for an addict to handle on his own. And he was feeling so well, he thought he could handle on his own. So he carried on working. And it was exactly 15 months from the time that he came home to me and went cold turkey that he actually went out and he used heroin one day. They call it a slip. And unfortunately, he had no tolerance, so the heroin killed him. One of the saddest things is that in times of recovery, the addict actually realises what he or she has lost. Well, then he did say one thing to me. He said, Ma, I said... 
I know I've hurt you badly and I know I've hurt all my family and I know I've hurt people out there. But for that, he says, I'm truly, truly sorry. But he said, the one I've hurt the most, he said, is myself. And I said, what do you mean, son, by that? Yourself. And he said to me, all the last years, ma, he said, I jumped from being a child to where I am now. And he said, all those years, he said, I don't remember them, he said. I have no memory of them at all. Sister Kevin Eulachan has worked for most of her life with prisoners and with families of prisoners in the Matt Talbot Community Trust. She's witnessed how a young person's small adventure in drug-taking can eventually tear her or his family apart and leave a young mother enslaved to drug dealers. Tan did a four degree coon of less tan, water in Tagahena, a cassid legahena ella. Go will she the coon of Dunach, will she the tort coon of Agus Ta Nadina and the druggy, Tish de Glore. Lech Kurgas is queen of some in a stagelish idea, milching of her fad. Mar Nadina Evian a tort on drug, le deal than faster. Nach dig the tug and cheat on drugger, Sir Nashke. Gudigable <laughs> Agus yn suntos nitr yn brwchr ar yr. Agus ys cwyn o chlymsa e, e, mawr a chwg arigad yn ddia. Cwy ced pont, ta sydd chwn mea waru, agus ys gymaige, gymrysiedig a chnafa, mor o feidis yn cwy ced pont. Agus chwg si yn targed y ddi eke. Chwg si dofe. Agus ar do, yn tia tsiacht yn elefysiol ar y cwy ced ele. One of the first reactions of parents who discover that their child is an addict is to feel that they can deal with the problem themselves. But the addict becomes adept at deception and valuable time can be lost as a result. Maura, a mother from Crumlin, lost her son to heroin. But in the beginning, she thought that she was making progress in getting him off the drug. But the cruel game of deception had started. My son was pulling the wall over my eyes. And... They were all saying to me, put him out and let him stand on his own feet. And me, as his mother, I thought, no, I'm not putting him out. I'm his mother and I will get him off the drugs. So I'll just tell you, I hadn't a clue. They kept on saying, you won't get him off the drugs. He'll get himself off the drugs. So the love between us all had to be very strong because it was pulling us all apart. My husband, I was blaming my husband for letting him away, for letting him away with murder. And my family, my other sons and daughters were blaming me. They were saying I was letting him 
I was, I was facilitating him. I was letting him stay in the house and take the drugs. You haven't an idea what it's like until it's in your home. And God help anybody. God help them. That's all I can say. Because their whole, whole world is shattered. When he started, he was about um, 18. And he came from a lovely home. He came from a loving home. I don't drink. My husband doesn't drink. And there was plenty of love in the home. I didn't go out to work. You know, I mean, there was no need for him. Just, he was in with a crowd that took, took, took drugs. And of the whole crowd, he was the only one he couldn't get off them. He had an addictive nature. If it hadn't been drugs, it would have been drink. If it hadn't been drink, it would have been food. It would have been. Then he went away to England. You know, because I was always watching him. He went away to England. And then he was missing in England. But then we found him. And we got him into rehab in England. And they done a good job on him in England. He was in rehab for two years and then he came home and his favourite sister died and he went back. He wasn't able to cope. It's a terrible feeling when you find out your child is on drugs because you blame yourself. You say to yourself, where did you go wrong? You know? You think it's you, you know? Yeah, I could, I deserve, I could have stopped him. The disgrace, the everything, you know. And like my family used to say, you get help for yourself, because Brian will do what he wants to do, you know. Brian will do what he wants to do. We, well, he, like, we couldn't live, you know. I mean. My husband eventually told me it would be better if he got out of the house. And he said yes. And he seemed to like, he thought he got more, better help in England. He really did. And he went back to England. And he died. But we brought him home. Phyllis, who works with the drugs team in Rialto, never thought that she would end up 
doing work like this, but came to it through a painful family experience. Yes. Lots of families around here, but multiple deaths. Mm. Um, I would know an awful lot of the mothers from thinking of groups with them. Um, being made up with their children as well, they would have been personal friends, and a lot of them, a lot of them would have hung around with uh, my younger brother and my younger sister, which both of them had died through drug-related diseases as well. The 29-year-old died first. Um, he suffered for years. He's, I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Looking at him deteriorating, I say if he was three and a half stone when he died, he'd be lucky. Oh, it was horrible, horrific it was. But I also had a sister dying at the time as well. And she went through the mill for years as well. But within six weeks she was dead after my brother. It was a total nightmare for ten weeks at the family because we also had two brother-in-laws died within them ten weeks as well. It was four of them in ten weeks, two and three days. My sister was buried on the Friday and on the Saturday our partner dropped dead the next day. So they left um, four children off it. Um, my brother left two children. Just tore lumps out of my mother. My mother just... She just fell apart. She was a very strong woman. Through that sickness, she was very strong, very supportive of them. And uh, but when they died, she just gave up on life. She's a recluse now. She's going to go outside the door. For a woman that was so outgoing, every night being go, looked at a glass of Guinness. It was three years since she stepped outside the door. She goes out the door, I think she lived twice in the past three years, and that was just to attend two funerals of two of our brothers. Died. But oh, drugs tore our family apart, tore us apart. And I've seen an awful lot of families around here. One of the big issues which is coming to the fore as far as addiction is concerned is the attitude of the father, who tends to take an intolerant and macho approach, which doesn't really help the situation. That's an issue that, that we have to deal with, and, and certainly you have sitting with you here a father and a mother, okay? And we would deal with the issues in different ways. The mother traditionally nurtures, minds, protects, the father is the breadwinner, the head of the household, the head honcho. And sometimes that comes across in dealing with the drug user, where the mother would support and love and encourage. The father may sort of lay down the law and say, you do this or else, you know. And, and that creates an issue for husband and wife, for both sets of parents, you know, where there is a husband and wife. That creates huge problems and, and can lead to... to breakdown in relationships so that's how the family is affected it's not just that there's a drug user in the family but certainly relationships within the family can be drastically dramatically affected and can in some cases lead to to, the breakdown there are two groups um, for fathers for men but it's mostly surrounded by around fathers and there's only there's only two groups in Ireland at the moment and um, you know, it's very important. Because, you know, men have this image of the macho image. Yeah. And the macho image can have to be dropped. Yeah. And, you, you know, when, when you come in contact with men and they say, the fathers especially, the attitude you have is, throw them out. Yeah. Throw them out. And it's not the answer. I've, I've, I've been in, involved with the two groups. And I've been to funerals where men have cried. And I was there to give them a hug. Yeah. And help them along the way. And um, 
it's 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 hard for men to come out and show their emotions, you know. But again, it's a start. And they tend not to understand it. Too. They t- they tend to think it's just a waywardness of sorts. It's a wayward, and it's also a denial. Mm. You know, um, and I just sometimes you turn around to the wife or whatever it is and say, "You'll deal with it. You'll deal with it." And for myself, deep inside, uh, I still love my son. And I will do almost anything to help him. But it has to come from his cell too. And that's the hardest part. You're watching someone. It's a living death, really. And you're watching them. And it's hard to let them go as well. At the moment, a great debate is raging among those who work with drug addicts about the use of methadone as a substitute for heroin. For some, like Sister Kivin Neolachan, it is addiction by another name. For others, it helps to stabilise the addict and allows them some sort of normality. My opinion of methadone is um, methadone went a long way towards saving our relationship as husband and wife. Um, It stabilised my son it meant that he was able to get on with a fairly normal life. It's not the ideal, it's not the answer. I don't think methadone on its own is the answer. There needs to be a huge backup service, counselling. There needs to be respite care. Um, Even when they're on methadone, they're going through some terrible, terrible, difficult times and they may need respite care. They may not want to stop the methadone, but they may need to get out of the situation for a while. They may need just to rest, to relax them and calm down. There are a whole load of services that are needed. There are also um, complementary therapies that can be used in conjunction with methadone, which may hasten the detoxification. And yeah, I would agree with all that, but what I think methadone has its use, but I think methadone has been abused. I think methadone can be used as it can be used very positively in detoxation, in detoxification. But what's been offered is methadone maintenance, and that's what I have a problem with. Mm. That everybody is—it's like it's a fair belt that everybody gets the same. There's no individual um, care plan for people who present for treatment. Everybody is fitted with the same hat, and you go on a methadone maintenance, and and this is what happens. So that's what I would have a problem with. I think that. Methadone has its place and it's, it's, it's of huge use to some people. Some people need methadone maintenance, but not everybody does. And I think we have to treat people as individuals. Is it true that methadone is being sold? I mean, it's being sold to get the real stuff, as it were? Methadone being sold on the streets helped me out of many a situation. I'd say I spent as much on methadone as any addict. You know... Yeah. Because, I mean, as I said to you earlier, when, when my son went into treatment, nobody told me that he could relapse. Mm. And, I mean, even even if they're on a treatment programme and they go into treatment and they relapse, then they have to wait to get back onto treatment. There's no um, immediate take-up if, if this relapse happens. So then you have the situation where is, do you let your child then use heroin or do you go looking for methadone? Yeah. So that's putting families in the situation where you have to go and look for methadone, you have to buy methadone. So if there's no leakage, that can cause huge problems. Because then they, you know, if methadone is not being sold on the street, that would cause major problems. So the, to me, it saved me a lot of hassle. Do you know that nowadays they're allowing women on 80 mils of methadone 
in charge of young children. I had uh, was asked by a father who wasn't in a position to look after his children. I was asked uh, to take care, to try and get get a home for two children. And I said, well, I want to meet the children and then I want to meet the mother. And uh, when I went down to the mother, I suppose you've seen people in psychiatric hospitals where they, they, they're bending down, bowing and up and down, so, you know, obviously out of this world. That's how she was. but methadone, like, really, it's meant to be worked in conjunction with other things. It's meant to be worked in conjunction with um, counselling, uh, rehab schemes, and, and it's really effective when that happens. Now, it doesn't work for everybody. And, and you say to me, and people say, but you're giving a drug, you're substituting a drug for a drug. And you are, right? The hope is that people's life will become more, more manageable uh, and that eventually some of them do, uh, do sort of uh, wean themselves off, off methadone. A lot don't. But the reality is well, we're living in a society. We're living in a society in which everybody takes drugs. And if it's not methadone, if it's not heroin, it is alcohol and it is uh, cigarettes or whatever. And the, the drug that's doing most damage is alcohol, right? No, and it's, I, I get a bit upset sometimes when people say, well, these people are not getting drug free. And I say, how many people in Ireland are drug free? All right? And it just happens that, that, that the drug of choice of, of the people who are on methadone is heroin. Society, for good reasons, have decided this drug is not permittable. Okay? And so, therefore, therefore, um, we have to take that into account. And, and, and the response is, okay, we won't let you have method of, of, of heroin, your drug of choice. We'll give you methadone uh, to make your lives a bit more, more manageable. Right? Um, and I suppose my question when people talk about drug-free, and that was, I suppose, the underlying assumption when you, you, you put that question about methadone and, and, and the controversy about it. Why don't people, instead of saying, talking about people being drug-free, why don't we talk about addiction-free? Right? And I tell you why. It's because we're all addicted. You are addicted. I'm addicted. And we're all struggling with addictions of one sort or, or another. So I suppose in this whole debate about drugs, I think what's really called for is, is that for each person to analyse themselves and, and to kind of, I suppose, it, it, it calls for and evokes a bit of humility in us all. But is the problem getting better or worse? From the point of view of services, things have definitely improved. But the availability of cocaine is posing a very serious threat. Certainly drugs are freely available and, and yeah. very, very easy to get. I mean, one of the issues that the network wanted to take up recently was a statement by Taoiseach that the drug problem was sorted with the introduction of task forces. And the morning he actually said that, 
Sadie witnessed out the window a drug deal being carried out just across the road in the north inner city, very open. You know, so how can you justify that sort of statement? I mean, it's the Taoiseach Donald's constituency, and we're looking out the window and we're seeing this going on. And he turned around and said and that that problem was solved. And the same week that, that he made a statement, we had four suicides in the north inner city. Um, so it's very frustrating to hear that, that kind of statement be made. Marvian I would say the problem is changing. Yeah. I think there's a change. Um, I mean, there's an awful lot of cocaine now being used. And I think that the, the users have been are getting younger. So I think that's, that's a problem. And I think they don't see... They see themselves as being different to the heroin users. And they would say to you, like, oh, only scumbags use heroin. But it's okay to, it's cool to use cocaine. And they see it as being an okay drug. Um, I, I don't think yeah. they see the dangers. A designer drug? A designer drug, yeah. It's cool <laughs> to use cocaine. Yeah. It's amazing within the addiction field, there are levels of discrimination. Like, an alcoholic would never say that he's as bad as a heroin user. The, the, the cocaine user said, I'm not as bad as that. But, Until but, they all come to realise that addiction is addiction, yeah. drugs are drugs. But then even even with heroin users who who, who bang up and who smoke, I mean, they're scum. They're, I mean, they're, they're injecting. They're, they're scum. Yeah. I'm okay, I'm just smoking it. You know, but that is, yeah. So it, it's not so much getting worse as, a, as it's changing. And it's changing for the worse, if you like. It's it's frightening what's happening out there. For the inner city areas, the fight against drugs will go on, but in our new economic circumstances, probably with serious cutbacks. Help is available, but the problem is one of attitude and priority. We are in a society that is no longer Christian in terms of its its leadership, and uh, it is power and money that matters. Economics is what makes it work. We have not done what the 1916 proclamation said, put our children. It is human beings, people, who should be at the centre. And if we were ruling our country for people, it wouldn't matter to us whether the person was on heroin or in jail or an alcoholic. That person would have the same rights as I had. And we would put them in the first place, not in the last place. And we would know that the way to help them is to help their parents, support their parents, what I would like to do, uh, uh, if you take the senior school in Ballyfermot at the moment, uh, most of the children will be pregnant in sixth year or shortly afterwards. And in four years' time, you'll have two children coming, a 19, 18, 19-year-old 19 with a child of four. Now, if you could take that child and the 
older child who is the mother and the boyfriend. And if you could educate all of those, and if there was an integrated system to put those children, and if they had been with uh, addicted parents, if their own parents, as I know, can be addicted, and if their own parents were addicted, and there was proper support and a proper support system, and if we had a system within the health board here which was integrated, so that if, if mental damage had been done, they could be siphoned off into that area. And if they needed family support, they'd get family support. And if they needed family therapy, that they'd get family therapy. But we don't want to put the money. No money came to Ballyfermot. Now, you know, Ballyfermot, like all the other places like Ballymun and Fingless and the rest of them, they were the dumped. They were, over a period of 30 years, they were neglected, deliberately neglected. And you only have to read the core documentation to know that the poor are getting poorer through every single budget. Well, I think um, my problem can be anybody's problem. I don't think anybody is, is, is safe from addiction. I think addiction can happen to anybody. But I think when it does happen to your family, I think it's one of the most devastating things that can happen to a family. And I think when it does happen, everything is focused on the person who's using drugs and everything is focused on getting this person better and I don't the families a lot of the time don't even realise that the family needs support or that the family can get support so what I would like to get across to people out there that if if you're dealing or trying to deal with addiction to look for support for yourself and to get out there and talk about it and this is not your fault and I think a lot of people would blame a lot of parents would blame themselves and I think you have to try and get it across that this is not your fault and that you do need support and there is support out there for you. And I would say to any parent, if if they're trying to deal with it, to give us a ring here. And, and the number is 836-5090 and you can ask for myself or Philip and we'd be too willing to help you. If you enjoyed this documentary, you might like to listen to our other Documentary on One productions. Visit rte.ie forward slash doc on one.